You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode 133 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band The Odorants. The Odorants is a punk rock band hailing from the Scandinavian country of Finland. Founded in 1995, they called it quits in 2009. After a decade apart, The Odorants decided to get the band back together. 2020 saw them recording four new songs with plans to head back to the studio soon. For more information on The Odorants, you can find them on all of the streaming platforms as well as Instagram at The Odorants Band. That is O-D-E-R-A-N-T-S. Now here it is, their new single, Lights Went Gold.
The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I do like the shadows. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzard. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Hey, everybody. How you doing? This is Greg from the Bouncing Souls, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. Run for the road, cause it's going on and on. We'll be driving through the darkest night until the break of dawn. We'll be heading for the cities, another show for us to play. To get back in the bed tomorrow. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land, what is going on? As always, this is your host, Chris Swinney. This is my podcast where I get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and have, say it with me, a stellar conversation. I used to say that all the time. I stopped for a while and people told me they liked when I said stellar. So I've brought it back. It's been back for a while now. So yes, today's episode is stellar, just like the other episodes. Before I tell you what's going on on today's episode, how are you guys doing out there? I hope you're staying safe and healthy during the crazy pandemic that's still going on. It's officially December and it is cold here in Indiana where I live. We got our first snow of the season this week, which is always kind of a big deal, you know. I always enjoy the cold weather a bit more when it snows. If it's just cold and there's no snow, it kind of sucks. I'm I'm not a fan of that. But Indiana's crazy, which I I mean, people talk about how the weather changes every five minutes everywhere. So it's the same everywhere. But it was like 60 degrees on Thanksgiving Day. And then a few days later, it was 20 and it was snowing. So uh, speaking of Thanksgiving, I would like to give a shout out to my wife, Felicia. She did awesome. It was our, it was our first time ever hosting a Thanksgiving dinner at our at our abode, at our house. And it was great. She, she kicked ass. We, we, she had ham and Cornish game hen. And we didn't do turkey. I, it was weird not having turkey on Thanksgiving, but we had enough food that it didn't really matter. But um. Yeah, we usually go to my aunt's house and there's like a huge 90 person gathering at my aunt's house. But this year that was not the correct thing to do. So we kept it pretty low key, just invited my parents over and uh, my kids got to see their grandparents and it was a lot of fun. And, you know, it was way different than normal, but a great day nonetheless. And I hope that all of you Americans out there had a wonderful Thanksgiving the reason that I specify Americans, because, you know, Thanksgiving is an American holiday. I mean, I know Canada has a Thanksgiving. I think Australia has a Thanksgiving, but they're on different days. And uh, I had a friend one time that thought Thanksgiving was a global holiday and or even a religious holiday. And I had to explain to him that it wasn't. And uh, I always tell people this story, that same friend, I won't say any names, But uh, when he was speaking about syncing up Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon with The Wizard of Oz, which I know a lot of you guys out there have done if you're my age, you're in your late 30s, early 40s, they, you know, you sync up Pink Floyd with Wizard of Oz and it's it's trippy, man. (laughs) But he was telling me about that one time 
And uh, he said, man, the people that made that movie must have been huge Pink Floyd fans. And if you don't know why that's funny, you should go hang out with this guy I'm talking about. <laughs> Think about it real, real slowly. If, uh, if the people that made the Wizard of Oz were uh, Pink Floyd fans. Yeah, you'll, you'll get it. Just keep trying. But uh, today on the program, it's great. I had such a good time. I got to chat with Greg Etonito from the Bouncing Souls. Bouncing Souls is a big deal for me. I've been a huge fan of the Souls for most of my life, definitely most of my adult life. And uh, it was great getting to know Greg. We met a few times like in passing during the Warp Tour and other festivals back in the day, but we never really had a chance to chat like this before. And it was really cool. And uh, as many of our mutual friends told me, he is most definitely the nicest guy in punk rock. I even tell him that on the on the podcast. <laughs> but the Bouncing Souls have a new record out called Volume 2. It's so cool. It's like 10 reimagined Souls classics and one new song. They're also doing a full live band stream on Saturday, December 12th. You can get all the information and everything you need for that over at live at studio4.com. I'll put all this in the show notes if you want to check it out. You can also go on to uh, bouncingsouls.com. It has all the info as well. We didn't really discuss the live stream during the conversation. Uh, I think it was because he had they hadn't quite confirmed it yet. We did this, this chat probably a month, month and a half ago. But uh, make sure to check out the live stream. Check out the new record, Volume 2. It's out on Pure Noise Records. And it's on all the streaming platforms as well. So before I get to my conversation with Greg, I do need to pay some bills like I always do. The Odorants, the band at the beginning from Finland. I love Finland. When I was in Finland last time, I ate some reindeer, which I know a lot of, some of you out there are vegetarians and I, I totally respect that, but I was in Finland. I had to, I had to have some reindeer. So please forgive me. But uh, yeah, the Odorants, great band out of Finland. You can check them out on Instagram at theodorants.com. I know it sounds like I'm saying deodorants, but it's T-H-E-O-D-E-R-A-N-T-S band over at Instagram. So Instagram.com forward slash theodorants band or just at theodorants band. They're also on all of the streaming platforms. Thank you guys so much for sponsoring. Next, we have partscasterconcierge.com. My buddy Gary builds guitars. He built one for me. He needs to build one for you. So head on over to partscasterconcierge.com. Uh, S-BAM rocks. Spam. S-B-A-M dot rocks. Uh, spam, not spam. <laughs> they did the artwork for the podcast. And uh, if you need some artwork done, they have they have all kinds of stuff. They run a festival, which probably not a lot of festival stuff going on right now during the pandemic. But uh, they have a record label. They, they have all kinds of stuff. So head on over to S-B-A-M dot rocks spam.rocks permanence tattoo gallery is back on the ride they were off the ride for a while but my buddy jacob harrison past guest of the show is the proprietor at permanence tattoo gallery over in anderson indiana on meridian street you can check them out on all the socials at permanence tattoo gallery check it out if you want some good art some good ink you're in the central indiana area go to permanence tattoo gallery Last but not least, our new sponsor, BetterHelp.com. If you guys, you know, if you're struggling with anything, depression, anxiety, whatever, stress, 
it's, it's okay to ask for help. And I am a proponent. I am a champion for counseling, for therapy and making sure your mental health is on track. So if you, any of that sounds like something you need to work on, head on over to betterhelp.com forward slash T O T O T. And you're going to get 10% off your first month, but that doesn't even really matter because it's cheaper than traditional therapy and they will take care of you. It's amazing. Check it out. Betterhelp.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T. Get 10% off your first month. It's remote. You could do it in your car, in your house, whatever you want. Check it out. Betterhelp.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T. If you have a band or a company and you would like to sponsor an episode, you can hit me up, T-O-T-O-T podcast at gmail.com or on any of the socials at T-O-T-O-T podcast. If you want to support us over at Patreon, we have some cool stuff over there. Check out patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast. If you would like to make a one-time donation, you can hit up my Venmo. That is at Christopher Swinney, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-S-W-I-N-N-E-Y. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. I'd like to give a shout out to our art director, Sarah, over at Road Dog Supply. We just added new sticker packs in the merch store. You can check that out and you can sign up for our mailing list and everything else over at TOTOTpodcast.com. So that is the intro. The only thing I have for a segment today is a little bit of news. I have a little music project I started during the pandemic called Southern Gothic. Uh, I wasn't sure if I really dug the name, but I'm starting to kind of like the name. I didn't know there was a TV show called that when I named it that. But uh, I have some news on the Southern Gothic front. We have some new music coming very soon, and it's it's pretty cool. The first song we did was a song called Long Overdue, and it was just a song that I wrote and recorded. And then my buddy Pedro from Anberetta and Shot Clock sang on it. And uh, we put that up, and it did fairly well. A lot of people really enjoyed it. But I have a new song that I wrote, and I got a lot of help this time. And uh, this is the first time I'm speaking publicly about it, so uh, uh, you guys should feel very special. But uh, I have this new song. It doesn't have a name yet. Uh, The working title was Dark Hearts Club, which means nothing. It was just something that I thought sounded cool when I was writing the song. But uh, my buddy Tucker Rule from Thursday played drums on the track. Tim from Protest the Hero is doing second guitar and I think a little bit of piano on the track. He's working on that currently. I haven't heard heard really what he's doing yet. But uh, Matt Riddle, which this blows my mind from No Use for a Name and Face to Face, is playing bass on the track. And then, of course, my buddy Pedro that sang on the first single from Southern Gothic is from Amberetta and Shot Clock is doing the vocals on this song as well. And I couldn't have made any of this happen without my friend Brian, Brian Churlo, uh, Grammy award-winning Brian Cherlo. He's worked with Justin Bieber and Tony Bennett and Amy Winehouse and all kinds of crazy people. But uh, he's doing all the mixing and uh, the kind of producing with me on, on this track. And there's a couple other tracks we're working on, but we're going to get this one done first. But uh, the new song slash songs should be out sometime in the new year. And I cannot wait to share it with all of you guys. It's, it's more of just kind of a... A project. I won't say we're ever going to tour or play gigs or anything, but uh, I'm really, really excited that, you know, Tucker's playing drums and Tim from Protest the Heroes playing guitar with me and Matt from No Use for a Name and Face to Face is playing bass. I mean, it's it's quite the project 
And I just wanted to let all you guys know first before it, you know, there's anything announced or anything. If you listen to this podcast, you're hearing it first. No one knows except the guys that played on the track. So uh, I don't have anything to play right now. It's being, you know, recorded currently. A lot of it's done. The drums are done. You might have seen a video I put on Instagram when Tucker was playing drums. But uh, it should be out within the next couple months. And I, I, I really think you guys are going to enjoy it. So uh, thank you for listening to my rant about this. But I'm very, very excited. New music from my project, Southern Gothic, coming to a streaming service near you soon. The plan is to try to record an EP with some of these guys, maybe some different guys, whatever, like spread the love around and uh, release an EP with a label to try to give some money to charity that I will let you, the listener, choose. That is the plan. So hopefully we'll get there. If not, we'll just have some good songs out and hopefully you guys will enjoy it. But that is it for the intro. And I'm going to jump right into my conversation right now with Greg from The Bouncing Souls. You guys are going to love it. He's awesome. And, uh, we talk about all kinds of really cool stuff. So without further ado, here it is, my conversation with Greg from The Bouncing Souls. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Greg from The Bouncing Souls. Greg, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing good. Um, it is election day. I'm a little, I have a little anxiety, but I just got back from voting and uh, it felt good. felt good to get out there and vote in person and the sunny day here in Idaho. Um, so yeah, it's a good day. I'm excited. It's going to be a crazy week and I'm looking forward to it and I'm a little anxious about it. <laughs> yeah. My wife and I have not stopped talking about, it. I, we voted yeah. early, so we, yeah. we got it all out of the way. I live in Muncie, Indiana, and uh, okay. I was kind of worried about how the in-person would go down. Our, our cases of coronavirus are kind of big here right now. So yeah, we did everything early. <laughs> I I totally get it. I just still was like, you know what? Because I live really in a rural area. Um, although since, you know, in the last week or two, there's been some serious spikes up in Idaho in general. But uh, I just found out that 55% of people in our county did the mail-in, which, um, you know, my wife did it too. But I was like, I just, I was sticking old school. I'm like, you know what? I like going out. Um is it going to be that much different than going to the supermarket? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I just kind of, that's how I made my logic about it. And it wasn't, it wasn't bad. It was because it's a small town. I mean, yeah. I didn't want to, I waited online for about 20 minutes outside in the sunshine. And then I was inside for like 15 minutes and um, I feel okay about it. Well, let's, yeah. let's talk a little bit then before we get into some of the meat of the stuff I want to talk about, you know, ever mm -hmm. since, ever since I've followed you guys, and I've met you guys a couple of times in passing at Warp Tours and whatnot when my bands have been playing, but you guys are New Jersey guys. So how did you end up in Idaho in a rural town? Okay. It's a, I know there's long and short versions. I'll give you the short version. <laughs> okay. So uh, I married, my wife uh, grew up in Southern California in Los Angeles, and then her family moved here when she was about 10, built a house up here about a hundred miles North of Boise. And, uh, we were married in 2001. I moved to Los Angeles. We lived there for roughly nine or 10 years. Her folks had moved out of this house. So they were living in this house for years. And then they relocated back to where her, my, my father-in-law's uh, mother had passed away in Victoria, in BC. Okay. So this house was empty. In the wintertime, the pipes froze and there was a, and they burst. And there was a bad, 
ton of damage to this house. And so her parents were essentially like, and it wasn't discovered for like two months. So it was flooded. There was mold on the walls. It was a mess. And uh, her, her, her parents uh, said, listen, we got to either do something with the property. We're going to knock down the house and sell the property. We're not going to live there. If you guys want it, you guys can just call it yours. So uh, that's essentially what happened. And we, after much deliberation, living in Los Angeles for nine or 10 years, we decided to make the leap up here, which I was happy about. Um, my wife was a little more reluctant because it was sort of how she, she went to high school here. And, um, but it didn't take long for us to realize uh, once we came up, we were like really happy we did. We, we came up here now more than ever. I mean, we have so much space and we've converted this the place to um we have a little studio up here that used to be a barn and so it's um it's been fantastic you know like as far as the just uh, what do i need to say about it as far as the quality of living in los angeles or living in the mountains in, in idaho where there's a lake and there's snowboarding and skiing in the winter time it's it's great so that's the long, i guess that's that's the mid medium-sized story <laughs> so you know a band like the Balancing Souls, you guys have been around for so long. I've been following your career forever. I'm sure you get recognized maybe in LA or on the East Coast or in bigger cities. Have you ever gotten recognized in your town in Idaho? Well, first of all, for fun, we, amongst the Balancing Souls, we like to call it recognized. Okay, recognized. There you go. Yeah. Uh, occasionally. Yeah. So very rarely. So it's special. Yeah. A waiter in this little town recognized me once uh maybe you know in i've lived here for 12 13 years maybe twice him and like maybe one other person in this little town uh it rarely happens and that's why it's sort of like special and i i like having a little little dose of fame that in you know some situation like for here's another fun one for example in maui uh, we were in Maui, my wife and I just visiting, uh, you know, on a vacation. I didn't have a jacket. The only jacket I had was a light jacket. It was a Bouncing Souls jacket, <laughs> which I rarely ever wear, a Bouncing Souls t-shirt or jacket. But I yeah. had this white jacket. It was an oddly cool night in, in Maui, and I had that. And we're sitting eating pizza, and the waitress like, comes up, and she's like, I love the jacket. Ah, oh, the souls are great. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I love the souls. You know, like that kind of thing happens and it's hilarious too, once in a while. She did not recognize me. She liked the bouncing souls, but did not recognize me. Well, I tell you, I was in a band for a while. Uh, actually, when I met you, I was in a band called the Ataris. And the, yeah. the claim to fame for the Ataris that everybody knows is that cover of Boys of Summer by Don Henley. Well, yes. once I was out of the band, I was living in Gulf Shores, Alabama, down on the Gulf Coast. I went to this uh -huh. bar to try to meet people. I was all alone. And this kid's like talking to me. He's like, what do you do for a living? I was like, well, I used to play music, but now I'm doing this other thing. And his phone yeah. rings and his ringtone was Boys of Summer by the Ataris. Whoa. <laughs> and I told him, I said, well, that's, that's actually the band I was in. And he goes, no, oh, that's some 41. It was one of those things where the song got bigger than the band. So no one knows who did the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and he didn't believe me the whole night. <laughs> Yeah. And it's funny. It was a situation where you're kind of like looking to meet some new people anyway. That's yeah. pretty cool. It was pretty yeah, funny, yeah. but this isn't about me. This is about you. So, uh, <laughs> um, the one, one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on the show today is volume two, the new release by the balancing souls. 
You guys kind of reimagined some soul songs kind of in a different way. There's some new songs. It just came out on the 23rd on Pure Noise Records. Was the the coronavirus pandemic kind of something that spurred this along, or was this always something you guys wanted to do? Yeah, no, it all happened to up to the last minute where the pandemic hit. So we did our 30-year anniversary, and we wanted to do sort of a special, some something besides a regular tour, just a regular club tour. So we decided to do like a storyteller's acoustic set before our sets, our club shows. So we would have a, a special ticket where you could spend a few extra bucks, come right after soundcheck. We would do like six songs. And we literally like, we so didn't prepare for it. We were just like, whatever, we'll figure something out. So that's what we did, which ended up creating some really fun moments and some not so cool moments, but either way, I think people appreciated we were just putting ourselves out there. We would take requests. And as as we went along, people were like, you guys should make an acoustic record. That was so much fun, you know? And so we were like, yeah, we thought about it a little bit. You know, not really. We just don't, didn't really see how it would work. And so we didn't really push ourselves into it. But after doing this for a whole year, it was enough of a nudge to commit to it. Yeah. And having a good relationship with Will Yip, which we we kind of created when we did that EP, which we released in 2019, also was a motivation. We're like, we'll get Will on board. If Will's on board, it'll probably be a lot of fun, you know, because we're going to need someone, that objective person to kind of like help us see our songs that we've played in a thousand times. You know what I mean? You're going to need a person that's a little outside of the... Uh, uh, our our perception of those songs. Yeah. So Will really was that person. He did a great job at that. And the timeline ended up that we recorded for two weeks with a, a break, you know, in the first two weeks of March. So as the last, you know, we, we took, we recorded for a week and we had a blast. We didn't even stick to our plan. We had a little list. We had like 20 songs on a list. Didn't look at it for a week. We just would go in and some will be like, maybe we should try Kids and Heroes, you know? And we're like, okay. And so we'd sit around the most chill, the most spontaneous recording session I've ever been a part of. And Will, to his credit, was like, the very first day was like, so we're not really, we're going to have electric guitars on this, right, you guys? We're not going <laughs> to have to make an acoustic record. And we're like, yeah, uh, yeah, right, right, Will, of course, you know? Like, we were like, you know, that was the original idea, but. To the band's credit and to Will's credit, you know, Will having having a good, lots of skill in seeing things in a different way and the Bouncing Souls for being open. It's obviously, you've been in a band and you know how, how bullheaded and, you know, people can be about their creative ideas. And yeah. they, they have an idea and they, they're so regimented about it, which, you know, being in a band for 30 years, we've already been down that road. <laughs> And, you know, every every band member has don, gone down that road and knows that it doesn't really work that well. So we're all just like, okay, yeah, whatever. Let's uh, put a Casio drum beat on Hopeless Romantic. See what happens. You know, like it was like really fun. And then nobody was like, oh no, what if we put a Casio drum beat on Hopeless Romantic and people don't like it? You know, like nobody cared. At this point, you probably don't really care. I mean, like I, I, I feel like, I hate using the term, but a lot of people throw this term around like legacy band because you guys have the fan base to where 
you really don't need to do any new music and you could tour for the rest of your lives probably, right? Yeah. I, I, I mean, we, we could, and, but because we, you know, we just, we're, I mean, for lack of a better word, we're artists, which mean we essentially, we want to please ourselves. You we want to like, you're really like, trying to mine for gold you know like yeah it's it's thing you can't undo you can't take it out of yourself you're trying to find that gold that like true essence of something magic that you indescribable magic that you experience when you're exposed to a cool song that you love or art or a film that you're like this is incredible this is moving you know so we can't stop that yeah, from happening yeah. so the only thing that's tricky is 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 when you let something get in the way of that, whether you yourself gets in the way of it or fellow band members or an idea of who you're supposed to be. And like I said, we went down every aspect of that road, you know, like, you know, being a band and once you're, you, you involve the music business and all that and trying to make money, there's some serious, you know, navigating your creativity is, is, is really a weird place to be. So yes, we've done all that. So we essentially was like, it was just priority one is fun, you know, and we really created also to Will's credit, creating an environment that was this like bubble of good times. And then simultaneously, so we did that first week, we had three days off. Uh, my family was out in Jersey, which we recorded outside Philly in Will's studio. We stayed at my dad's with my wife and my son. That was when it really started to get real. Yeah. That like, after first week, we were hearing you. And Italy's got this virus, and it's like it's there's some cases in New York, but it wasn't like serious. That middle of that, that that's between those two weeks, everybody started being like, "Do we can, should we go to this like birthday party? And should we go to this party?" And then people started buying toilet paper and stuff. <laughs> that's when that started happening. So we get back in the studio and everyone's like, what's going on? You know, is this for real, man? You know, we're like, and then, so every day it was like the world outside was a vice, which we all felt at that time. Right. It was like vice of chaos, like <laughs> slowly crunching in day by day. But then simultaneously we were having so much fun. Like, all the songs were starting to sound great. We're like, holy crap, this sounds amazing. Listen to that. Like, we got these amazing guitar sounds. What a cool beat George is doing on Ghosts on the Boardwalk. We're like, this is so, we were in this complete weird, like, the, the world is so horrible and scary and weird out there. We don't want to ever leave <laughs> fun, creative bubble. Like, really, the last couple days, we were just like, oh, no we got to go out there. No, you know, it was really like that. And then that was also when Pete came in with the lyrics to uh, the song, which was world on fire, which we wrote in the last two days. Like Pete had some lyrics and some chords. We all sat around for an hour or two one day, and then we like tracked it the next day. And that was special too. So we were able to sort of say that we had a whole other new song, like on board. We were like, a new song that was going to be the one new song on the record, but we just were like, put it aside. Well, let's do this now. And that's how that all happened. And then we literally like, we're like, we're going into quarantine. The last day my wife and my son came down to uh, pick me up from my dad lived like an hour and a half away. And I, 
we took a break and I walked into this park while we were like tracking. I was like, you guys go play in the park for an hour. And the cops were there like putting up the fences. And we were just like, you know, now we're used to it. But back then it was like apocalypse weirdness that I was like, what? (laughs) And so we're like, okay, no. And then the restaurant closed maybe the day before the second, the last day we were going to the restaurant every day. We get lunch and it was like that closed. So it really was kind of cool, scary and weird and all that, which is what we all experienced. But that moment of time of recording that music was very monumental for me in that way, because it was that period at the end of the sentence of all of our lives now that can't ever be the same after this experience. I mean, yeah. our world might be the same essentially to some extent, but our, our we've changed all in a, a way that's hard to even uh, really comprehend. We'll see, you know, like, I feel for all these kids who can't go to school or yeah. everyone, people can't work. I mean, we live in a different world for sure. So, so, you know, with the coronavirus kind of impacting it and you feeling it as you guys were making this awesome recording experience, you you guys seem to always tour. Like, I mean, you're, you're one of the bands that I seem to always see dates for. I mean, back in the day, of course, but it just seems like you're always working really, really hard with live shows not being a thing right now. And it's been that way for quite a while. Has that been something kind of weird to get used to for you? Absolutely. I, to this question or to this idea, I tell people, um, I've toured so much that, uh, you know, I haven't been in one particular place, like living wherever I've lived for more than maybe four months at a stretch since 1995. Wow. So I've just broken that record. I've been here for eight or nine months, I guess, nine months now. And it's been a really strange extremes of, 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 uh, feelings. You know, um, my, my son just turned three yesterday. So being able to be, my daughter turned three last week. (laughs) Congratulations, man. man. (laughs) Congrats to you too. So we're definitely on the same page with that, with that. Uh, so for me and maybe for you, you're like, well, forced time with my child at this age, you know, if it's going to happen, it's a good thing. Fantastic. Because this is such the crucial few years, you know, as their brains are developing and, and the bonds are developing. So that's fantastic. And then, you know, I, we've been able to get some stuff done up here that we've always wanted to do. We built a little greenhouse over the summer and it's like, we want to do that for 10 years. And that was so satisfying. So there's all these silver linings going on. And then, um, but then there's the other side of it where we were like the first month it was dark. Like all of us were like, are we just not even a band anymore? You know, like, yeah. We don't play music. We don't go on tour. Like, yeah, we're going to put that, the record's going to come out at some point, but that just seemed like inconsequential. You know, we're like, if we don't play live, we're, we're not even a band really, you know? So it was weird. Like that was some dark moments. I know all, all of us kind of went through some tough times with that the first month or two. And then when we decided to do this podcast, we did a Patre- Patreon set up a Patreon and start doing a podcast. It was just enough for us to feel like proactive. We got together every Monday and we're still doing it. We have some guests on and we are like, I miss you guys, you know, and we're like 
feel like we're just connecting still. And um, that changed that to some extent. And then, uh, but to the deeper side of it, we know how we felt by losing that feeling of creating music live together and the energy that it creates and that, that we share. And then we're like, nobody's doing that. Yeah. Anywhere in the world. What is, you know, what vital source of, of uh, vitamins and minerals is humanity going without at this point, without, um, you know, that kind of communal activity, that sharing of music and that sharing of uh, energy that really, I mean, in many ways, I don't know the health benefits that music has is, you know, it can't be quantified. I know if me personally, so that's missing to an extent that we don't have no idea also how much it's affecting us. So yeah, we've covered all this ground. Again, it is a wide range of positive and negative that I just sort of try to run through <laughs> and it is what it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the inverse of what you were just saying where that's, mm -hmm. that's absent right now in the world. And I know that everybody wants to get back so much, but I feel like as soon as the green light is given, everyone's going to tour and it's just going to be so saturated. It's going to be insane. Cause you know, as well as I do, when you're booking a tour, you kind of put feelers out, your booking agent kind of puts bids in on, on venues. And sometimes you get the ones you want. Sometimes you get the other ones, the smaller ones, yeah. bigger ones. If everyone in the world is trying to tour, I just feel like it's going to be so hard to tour. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We've been through this conversations too. And I think, at one point, our manager said, he talked to our booking agent and he said, at some on venue for one particular date, I, I don't know what date, they had like 45 for first holds on a, on a venue for one night, which means- That's crazy. Out there. Like when you're booking a tour and you want to say you play Chicago at this particular venue on November 3rd or whatever, you call up the promoter and you say, I want to you know, put a hold on that night. And, and then the promoters got, if it's open, he says, okay, you have the first hold. And then, you know, then like Kiss calls the next day and they're <laughs> like, we want to play November 3rd at Chicago. And then of course the promoter's like, sorry guys, uh, Bouncing Souls have first hold. Kiss, you're going to have to have second hold. So, uh, which is how it usually goes down. Yeah, anyway. totally. <laughs> so, um, anyways, there was 45 first holds, you know, and like, which is just that to end, you know, to, you know, talk about what you're talking about. It's going to be chaos. Like if this floodgates open, I don't even understand how that's going to work. Yeah, totally. totally to be honest, or what it's going to look like. Yeah. I, I know that uh, this is kind of weird to talk about, but when Jim from Pennywise was on the show, he was talking about this book that he was reading about. It's kind of, I can't remember the name of the book. I've got it written down somewhere, but it's similar to where for some reason the government made live shows illegal. So all of the bands ended up kind of going back to DIY and playing basements and playing shows like in houses. And I mean, I know you guys from being from Jersey, there used to be a huge house show basement show scene in Jersey. Do you think anything like that could ever maybe become a thing again? Not just for you guys, but just like in general, like some of the bands that played some of these clubs, maybe, maybe things will become more DIY again. I think it will. And regardless of how safe that that is or not and how willing people are to be unsafe, you know, and yeah. in that regard, I think of myself as in my 
early twenties, like we were never home. Like I don't, I don't, I don't know how you expect kids to not do anything or get together. It's sort of insane. Cause you know, anyways, so yes, to some degree. And then the, all of the establishment of music venues essentially are crumbling Yeah, because you know, they can't, how can they, they hold it up without any shows because they barely survive anyway, like small venues, especially that aren't like corporate sponsored venues and all that. So they're all literally getting mowed under uh, the pandemic. So that is going to create opportunity for a whole new uh, system or a whole new circuit of, you know, underground potentially starting there and building upward. Uh, So that seems like a logical thing that might occur uh but again it's any any i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) when was the last time the souls played in a house oh man that's a tough one right (laughs) yeah i mean we might have trying to think if we've done we've done like a few little little clubs for fun here and there just in the last couple years like sort of surprise gigs and that kind of thing but as far as a house <laughs> uh i used to love basement it might shows, occur man. to me it, it's yeah i mean there of course it's where we came from like, yeah yeah too like having those kind of shows because there wasn't there weren't places to play there weren't places that a new band could play yeah, yeah so um so yeah, I'll probably get off this call and I'll remember. <laughs> I'll text it to you or something. We, we, we just always used to, you know, growing up in the Midwest, uh, there was a music scene, but we always heard these like legends of the house and the basement shows on the East Coast. So it just yeah. always, it always seemed like this thing that was so far out of reach. Like we would play houses and we would have like these DIY shows, but you'd hear about you know, saves the day playing at a house and there's like 400 people shoved in a basement. Like we didn't have that. So we were very jealous growing up of the East coast guys. Yeah. Well, we, we had, we didn't even realize what we had. I mean, we knew where we grew up had a pretty cool scene. Like I I was aware of that. Um, But uh, you know, we had some great backyard shows. We had a great spot and it, developed a reputation pretty quickly because we had like two or three big shows where we had a skate ramp in the backyard and um yeah and then we knew about other places that we went on when we a few years later went on tour you know there was a few places like that you were like okay cool we're playing uh somebody's house that's sort of famous in the underground scene you yeah. know which is always cool and uh Ah, it was just really special because, you know, we weren't able to connect like we are now. Yeah. I mean, did you guys ever use book your own fucking life? Cause I mean, that was like yeah. the, for the first version of the internet for booking tours, right? Yeah. We had that. And I mean, you think about it now and it's like sort of, it's so kind of cool as old guy in an old guy kind of way. Like, yeah, damn, we did, that was cool shit. We did, you know, doing it that way. Um, and it had its advantages too. Like this, this, this access, access we have to everything at all times is sort of not to our advantage. I don't think always, I mean, it is and it isn't. So I think it takes away some of the specialness when you do certain things, you know, like I, I know kids now that before the pandemic or, you know, high school kids or whatever. And during the summer, they book a little tour and they kind of do what we used to do. They'd play houses or they'd play like 
Eagles Lodges or whatever, but I, I went through hell and like months and months of stealing phone cards and like calling places. They can book it all in like a week for the email and Facebook, you know, it yeah. just, it seems less yeah. special, but it's not that it's not still hard to do. It's just less special. I think because you used to work really hard for it, you know? Oh man, you had to mine information. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like you don't have to now. Yeah. And so, yeah, but it isn't easy anyway. You slice it. No, but, no. Uh, it might've been a, it might be a little easier, but it's still not easy. The, the I teach guitar for a living, and some of the kids that uh, I'm talking about were in this band, and they did this little tour. And I was telling them how the same thing, like, oh, it was so much more special, and I had to do all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, but gas was 89 cents when you were touring. <laughs> right. It's a lot easier to tour yeah. when you don't have to put your entire guarantee in the gas tank, right? Yeah, no, that's a good point. <laughs> So, That's cool. So you you were talking, we were talking. We were talking. Smart kid out there. Yeah, right. <laughs> we were talking about being dads. The one thing that I thought was really cool, and I had a buddy actually that uh, told me about this. You kind of have this this kid music thing called play date, mm-hmm. and that's with your wife, correct? Yes. How how did that all come about? Because I was reading on the internet, like you guys won awards, you played Lollapalooza, you played ACL Fest, like. How does that become mm-hmm. yeah. a thing? The guy from the Bouncing Souls starts like a, a kid band. That's awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, it is has been really rewarding. Um, I'll try it again. Make this a long story short. <laughs> okay. My wife, it started way back, like 2005 or six. My wife had, she's a musician and creative person, so she writes, and so she had written this thing and sort of, un, sort of just like started writing, and then she's like, oh, I'm gonna write this kids maybe a children's book kind of story. So she sort of wrote it out and finished the idea and had it. And we're like, this is cool. This is like, could be a children's book. So we kind of like even shopped it around to a couple of our friends. We're like, you interested in maybe, you know, doing some graphic design for this. And they were like, this is cool. And then we sort of put it aside. And then I was one day whining um, on tour (laughs) about like, uh, you know, like the hurry up and wait of, yeah. of being away all the time. And my wife is like, why you take the story and like, you know, start working, do to art and you do the children's book. And I was like, that's a great idea. Cause I had been doing visual art my whole life, but I, I never did it really seriously. I just would do it for, you know, sort of clear my head, Yeah, which is, you know, it's like a creative expression. So I spent four or five years just taking my time. You know, I just had the story with me and I had some art supplies on tour and it took four or five years. I did 36 pieces of art that went with the book. It's called, I went for a walk. And then we're like, what are we gonna do with this now? All right, let's do it. Like we always do everything else, put out records and put out the book. Yeah. So back then it was like we self-published, which was not quite as easier. It was like during the time of MySpace. So we like, like, Printed up a few thousand books, went out on MySpace. And we're like, well, we gotta go on tour. So I was like, hey, this is Greg from the Bouncing Souls. If there's anyone that has, you know, or a teacher, or like you have a little something you want to uh, host a book reading, and that's what we did. So we went on a little tour of the East Coast and the West Coast. We did book readings, and we brought a guitar because that's what we do. Yeah, and sort of first, and we would read from the book, and then we would sing a song or two. My wife had written a song called Imagination. And it was sort of a very sweet kid song. So the teachers, we went to schools. The teachers were like, the book's great. But do you guys have a CD? You know, like <laughs> after we sing a few couple songs, because that's sort of what we've always done. Yeah. So that 
kicked around for a couple of years. So we were like, maybe we should write a kid's, you know, it was, we didn't try. We were like, we, we, we liked the idea. We had fun doing it. The, the catalyst that we were like, we should do that, you know, but life got in the way. I kept going on tour and doing other things and the soul stuff and Shanti was doing other things. And so finally, uh, Mike Park, who, who has uh, uh, Asian Man Records yeah, was like, yeah. he was doing lots of kids music and he was motivated. He's like, I know you guys have kids songs. You have a great book. I need four releases to start my kids music label. Wow. So he had, he had one of his own, he had two other ones and he sort of reached out to us and it, it just was a little bit of a nudge. We're like, okay, Mike's going to put our record out. Let's do it. You know, let's finish it. And we did it. So that was it. So that was, came out in 2012. We were listening to the radio <laughs> completely randomly. Our record came out, but now for a couple of weeks, we hear us on NPR. We were like, what? Whoa. We got a little spot on NPR and Shanti's like crushed. He's like, oh my God, there's a new Playdate. Like they were talking about Playdate, Playdate, the new record from Playdate. You know, <laughs> Shanti's like, people are texting her. I'm like, you guys on NPR? Oh no, she was getting the texts first. You know, like we didn't hear it right away. People were texting her first. We're like, I play dates on the radio. And she's like, oh no, there's another play date. So anyways, we turned on the radio and we heard it. So all this cool stuff happened. This was in 2012. We started figuring out how to play music for kids, which I got to admit, I was completely nervous about. Yeah. And had tons of anxiety at first, thinking I'm like Mr. Rock and Roll. I've been on stage for 20 some odd years. <laughs> I know what I'm doing here. But put me in front of the kids and I was like, more anxious than I was in front of thousands of people and wherever on some festival. Yeah. So, but it makes sense because the kids are not polite. They're just, if they don't, if you're not, if they're not interested, they're just going to like do something else. Yeah. So it was been a great experience. It was a great experience creatively too. Um, and we're still doing it. We're, we're actually going to work. We're working on like sort of a traditional songs record, which I'm, I'm just having fun with. So Again, my short story turned into a long story. That's, That's essentially okay. it. We've done two records. Pete from the Bouncing Souls produced, helped us produce and engineer it, which um, was totally fun to do with Pete and change up the dynamic of songwriting. You know, again, that was a great exercise in being like, oh, let's just write a song about an owl. You know, do you feel that when you're writing, cause like I make up little songs for my kids all the time. I, my son's almost five. And like I said, my daughter's three and I'll grab the guitar and I'll make up stupid stuff. I tell a story about a shark yeah. that doesn't have any teeth. Like there's this weird thing that we talk about when you're writing stuff for kids. I know you probably put in as much work as you do with the soul stuff. Cause you're an artist, you want it to sound good, but is it a weird kind of dichotomy of finding inspiration for those kind of things as opposed to just writing songs for the souls? I think for me, it was just what I needed is liberating because, you know, songwriting in the sense of like about yourself or your own experiences can be pretty self-absorbed, a self-absorbed kind of uh, yeah. thing. You know, like, especially if you be, you become sort of a, well-known songwriter or, you know, you, people are like, really want to hear your songs. They want to hear you have to say, you know, you know, that can really get to you in your head as far as like, what, what am I really saying here? Am I just doing this because I've been doing it or, yeah. or do I actually have something to say? So that can get weird. So if you take that out of the, out of the whole process and you're like, 
it's not about you anymore. Like, it's like, let's write a song about a shark with no teeth. You know? yeah. And then suddenly you're liberated. You're completely liberated of this, like, I need to write a song about this crazy political shit that's going on right now. And yeah. like, people don't want to hear what I have to say about it. I need, you know, like, get over yourself, you know, write the song about the shark with no teeth because it's, it's, it's the same thing. And, and at the same time, like it, we ended up doing the same thing, which is like lifting people, helping them, you know, and, and, and in this case, kids and their families, it was so rewarding on a new whole level for me, you know, having like stoking out parents, like, like I haven't been to a like punk show in two years. This is amazing. I can bring my three-year-old, you know, and this is sort of like, so multi layers of me new rewarding uh, experiences for me as a person that makes music, and um, now our child is like discovering all the Playdate songs, awesome. which is also fun. Yeah. So you know, I I read on there you guys did play Austin City Limits Fest, Lollapalooza. How did that yeah. kind of take shape? I mean, did they have some sort of stage that they had some kids stuff on? Yeah. Um, very funny, you know, cleverly, the Austin City Limits Festival has the Austin Kitty Limits, which is really clever. And it's actually a whole area that's sort of fenced off to keep the maniacs out a yeah. little bit. Um, and it's completely set up for with activities and stuff. It's just for kids. And they have a whole, have a stage with the kids' bands and stuff. Um, I can't even remember. Uh, we had just, we had done you know, we'd done some press and we had done a few little tours and uh, I can't even remember how it, it, we even got those festivals, but we did Austin, Austin city limits and Lollapalooza were sort of connected. Uh, the same people booked, booked them, booked us on. So, so, but it was a blast, you know, of course, you know, we got to like do the shows at Austin city limits and then we got to like see the cure and like Lionel Richie. It was just, you know, a great hang, you know, um, and so much fun. So gig wise, it was just fun to do that and experience it in a, a whole new world. And then I was able to get back with a fresh head to the bouncing souls. Yeah. So. That's cool. It's almost like a palate cleanser, right? Completely, completely. <laughs> So I wanted to I wanted to talk about the you know I've I've like I said I've met you guys a few times over the years I'm sure you don't remember and that's completely fine uh, but uh, I remember on Warp Tour the last time that I really kind of talked to anybody in your band I think it was yeah. 2004 when I was on Warp mm -hmm. Tour you guys were in a box truck yeah <laughs> was that the White Castle yeah I I remember talking to you guys about that and just kind of being because at that point I was in a different band we were playing the Kevin Says stage we were a way tiny band we were in a van making those 14 hour drives and sweating and everything and I just remember like you guys are on the main stage and all these other bands are in their big opulent buses and everything and you guys are in this really cool looking thing but it's like a box truck were you guys always kind of thrifty trying to save some money on the road like where did that all come from with the box truck well, we we toured through the early and mid '90s. We had a couple of vans and a couple of very failed vehicles, and we met the ten foot pole guys in in, in Central California had a box truck, and it, it made a light go on. And we we're like, "Ooh, that's cool!" You know, like they had a custom built box truck. Theirs was a gas engine, and we were like, we talked to some people, and they're like, "If you you guys are hauling." you know, you're going really hard miles like a truck. So you need a diesel engine. So that was like our dream situation. We wanted 
a diesel box truck that we could just create and put bunks in it and make our own bus. And this was like, so the details of it and how we got it, we got, essentially we, we signed an epitaph and we, we took our advance money and bought that truck. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and that essentially helped us, you know, save money. You know, we probably paid for that truck in like a tour or two. And then it was like, wow, we're actually, instead of putting all this money into rental vehicles and all this stuff, we started being able to really afford to pay rent and stuff, go on tour and make a living doing it. Um, so then we had the thing for years, years and years and years, up to 2004 now. And uh, that was a point of pride to us. So we would go on out on the warp tour, we could do it for two, three weeks and make bring a lot home a lot more money yeah if we're going to be on a tour bus and yes we were playing the main stage and it was a very much a point of pride that we were like we're a main stage band so we would roll in in that truck and there'd be some local guy that'd be like you have to park over here we're like no we're a main stage band they're like there's no main stage band driving in this thing like and then we would have to be like all right call in like the warp tour guy and they'll be like let him in you know like let you know and we're like that's right (laughs) <laughs> we're a main stage band. And, the, and of course, you'd see the truck parked amongst all the big buses, yeah. you know. It was definitely a point of pride for us. You know? I, I had a similar experience because in 2009 with the Ataris, we were on the main stage and we mm-hmm. did our books and we, we realized we had a band that was going to share a bus with us. But at uh-huh. the last minute, that kind of fizzled out. So uh-huh. Chris and I were like, well, what are we going to do? Let's just take the van. And we'd pull in there and they'd say like, oh, you're not, no, we're on the main stage. And we'd be parked right between like Bad Religion and Thrice and yeah. all these bands. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't swing that that bus on your own without sharing no, it. No. That, that's just going to, that's going to cost more than what you're making. Well, and the thing is we weren't on the whole tour. We were only on like three yes. weeks. So it's like I can suffer for three weeks to take home more money, you know, in my paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I I tell you what, man, I've had you on the line for a while. I do want to ask you some listener questions. I always put on social media and they they always want to ask questions. That's cool with you. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Adam from Canada said, after all of this time, what keeps you motivated to keep making music? And I think we kind of touched on this a little bit, the artist thing. Like, it's just what you do. It's what I do. I mean, I still do music all the time. Yeah, I can't turn it off. And that's far as like, and every aspect of it, like the songwriting aspect and the, the recording aspect of it. It's like searching for treasure, you know, yeah. like that, like childhood, that, you know, childlike discovery, which, you know, I think that's what, what is also the, the draw to it. And then performing music for people in, you know, in cities all around the world, is just an incredible experience. If you can bring this energy and share the energy in, in all different places in the world, which now I've always appreciated, but I appreciate and miss and value now more than ever because I haven't been able to do it. So when I'm going to do it again, I feel like it's going to be pretty amazing as far as like uh, having value for, for what it is and what it means. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Adam, for your question. Uh, Jeff from New Jersey said, how did you go about creating a beer with last wave brewing? Uh, that I have to, you know, Brian Keelan, the bass player, and Pete uh, would have to answer that question. I think they're buds with those guys and they might have reached out and they kind of handled that. And then, you know, Brian did all the art, which I thought ended up pretty, pretty cool. And then uh, a, f- a month or two ago, a Zoom call, Brian and Pete are like, 
yo guys, we got the new beers. They they had a case for you guys, but sorry, I guess we we had to take it. And we're like, me and George are like, great, thanks guys. Yeah, enjoy our our case of beer too. Yeah, that's your band's so, yeah. name on there too, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were, I was just joking about it, but you know, since the situation, like, I probably would be out there at some point. I would be able to try one, you know. Yeah, but it's, they can't mail it to me. They can't mail me a case of beer. I think that's so. cool that like so many bands, like I'm not a big drinker or anything, but I think that so, so many bands like no effects did it strung out. Did it? I mean, there's yeah. so many bands have now like have their own beer. I think that's, that's a pretty cool thing. Did you ever think you would have your own beer? No way. <laughs> I mean, my 25 year old self would be like freaking out. You know? be like, <laughs> Dude, our own beer. What? You know, of course. That's yeah. awesome. So man. you have to try to always remember your 25 year old brain. Well, if my if you told my twenty five if you told my twenty five year old brain I'd be on a Zoom call with Greg from the Bouncing Souls, I don't really know if I would, I wouldn't know what a Zoom call is, but I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> okay, Jeff That's from New cool, Jersey, man. thank you so much for your question. I have one last question, and uh, I usually ask this question because I'm an avid traveler, but uh, I like the fact that someone else asked this. Jose from Peru wanted to know what was your favorite country you have toured over the course of your career or a couple countries that you've toured in? Oh, that's cool. Well, I, uh, I covered, I, I was in Peru once, which was again, a fantastic opportunity. I thought just to be there. Uh, and we did South America once in 2009, which I only got to do it in like less than two weeks. So it, South it was America is like, weird because you have to take like a flight every day. Did you guys run yeah, into that? Yeah, it was that? intense. Yeah. yeah. To keep it, again, to keep the budget, you know, be great if you could be like, oh, we get one day off and a show in every city, which is yeah. how, that would be the, a great way to do it. But uh, yeah, it was in, insane. So I was able to sort of get a little tiny dose of each city and get a feel for them. And there was so many cool places in South America that I would love to see more of. Um, as far as to answer this question, though, it's sort of multi-layered because- it's not, you know, places that I thought I'd never see, like Japan and stuff like that, was just really special to go to. And um, um, I, I can't pick any particular one that I, I love, but I think, you know, the fact that I've been able to go to so many, you know, so many big cities, so many little cities where you, you can kind of discover and see that um, you got some local person shows you around a little bit. Because in one day, you're not really able to see much. And so a local person is going to show you a couple of things. Um, just those little experiences, uh, I value so much. And I, um, yeah, uh, I can't really name one or two. I love, you know, I love certain s countries in Europe. I love Italy and Spain. I loved all of South America. We had so much fun there. Um, um and Japan, I think Japan is pretty special because it is culturally a lot different, you know, than than any of in the Western Europe or America. So that was great to be able to experience that a little bit. No, your last name uh, sounds Italian, correct? It is, yeah. So you've been to Italy, I take it. How, how was it? Was it kind of like, you know, I'm I'm Irish, so the first time I went to mm -hmm. Ireland, I'm not saying I had some kind of religious experience, but it was kind of cool to be like wow, I'm my whole life. I've been told I'm Irish. I have all this Irish blood and now I'm standing here and it just kind of felt, felt different. Did you feel anything when you went to Italy or did it, did it change anything for you? For sure. I have 
Italian and my dad's Italian and my mother's German and Irish too. So I had the same, very similar experiences. Like at first, when I first got to Italy, there was this very, uh, you know, I was moved a, a bit by it because I knew this is where my grandfather and grandmother came from. And um, there's a certain like, definitely a bit of like going back to your roots sort yeah. of thing. And same with Germany and same with Ireland too. I could recognize some part of myself in all those places when I first went there. But then what's cool, even almost cooler about it is, again, traveling more and more and more around more places in the world, you you understand how the same everybody is. You yeah, know? yeah. And, and yeah, we have these little quirks in our family histories and we come from different places, but that's a very deep experience. And I think, you know, you again, like they say, you can learn so much from traveling. It's, it's the, the power of that statement, you know, is, is, is not to be understated. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think the world could use a lot of people could, could do well by getting out and seeing the world a little bit more and seeing how, how we're all connected. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's crazy. Like I read somewhere and I've talked about this on the podcast many times, like even before I was a touring musician, I've always been mm -hmm. into other cultures and traveling and, and, you mm -hmm. know, now that I'm no longer touring, now I have toddlers, it's kind of harder to get out and go somewhere, but we have all these yeah. plans. Cause my wife loves to travel that in the future, we're going to take our kids to all our favorite places. I, it yeah. blows my mind that only 12% of Americans have passports, you know? I never heard that number. It surprises me a little bit. Like I would say that it was probably around 20 or 30%, yeah. but that's kind of ridiculous. I yeah. mean, it says a lot. I mean, it says a lot. I mean, I'm sure, you know, there were so many things that were just unconsciously burned into my subconscious in, as a child that you carried with you in your 20s. I don't know how those things would have panned out if I hadn't seen or experienced all the things I had. They just, they simmer inside of you. And then you you just become a more closed-minded individual. Yeah. And uh, so there you go. You know, <laughs> you, you, the, the numbers there are reflecting our society yeah. more than ever. And then even, especially like going to Europe, the first time I went to Europe, the awareness of the kids, they knew so much. They knew more about American politics than I did. And I was like embarrassed. Oh, yeah. You know? And I was like, you know, I'm sure you've experienced that to some, some degree or another. And um. So those kind of things, you're just like, whoa, man, it really, it, it, it hits you. But, you know, not enough people here are having these kind of real experiences. And now they think they're experiencing this stuff by reading about it or seeing stupid videos or news from on the internet that's not impacting them for real, like a real experience is, which is, again, it's a little bit of like, old man getting mad about the internet but it's fucking for it's for real man yeah like there's no nothing that's gonna trade in it's a real life experience for anything you see on the internet and you can learn a lot on it like through it and there's a lot of positivity to it but i think uh we're gonna have to sort out you know the aspects of 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 our our, our screen lives in the world and we're going to have to figure this out. It's crazy too, because you know, the pandemic has 
kind of caused everything to become more screens. Cause like right now, like, I mean, I, I was doing zoom and, and FaceTime and all this stuff for podcasts before, but yeah. now it's just the norm. Like, like people used to publicists used to ask me, do you want the phone number? What do you want? And I'd say like, Oh yeah, yeah whatever. Now it's just like, send me the zoom link. They don't even ask. It's just yeah. become the normal yeah. thing that people do. And I mean, I, I gave remote guitar lessons. I mean, it's, I just hope sure. that at some point we're going to get back to some sort of normal normalcy and not just everybody lives on their, their computer. You know, I know, I know. I think about people our age too, and how much they're already completely, you know, they're sold into it. And like, we lived in a, a lot of the world where there was no screens. Yeah. There was no internet, you know, but it doesn't matter. Like, so then I think about the very young people that have not even experienced a world without it at all. Yeah. Like, I mean, my, my kids are three and almost five and they know how to do things on their tablets. I don't know how to do. Yeah. And I think of yeah. myself as very tech savvy and I just, it, it blows my mind, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We're going <laughs> to, we'll see how this rides out, man. Well, Hey, today is election day. And, uh, you know, I think I know who both of us probably want to win, but uh, this will come out yeah. in a couple weeks. Would you like to make a prediction? Oh my goodness. I can't, <laughs> man, because it's honestly, tough, man. I can't, I, I, I keep, and, and I can't even, it's, it's so deep because and I think for everyone in an election like this, um, this election, it, it's so big because honestly, like, the current president, essentially, he has attacked the core of who I am just because of the common decency. Like the the man does is not have doesn't have common decency, and yeah. that's if you can't take like, all the other I, stuff away, it's just yeah, that. Like, that's enough. That's, I, me I too, man. I don't have any connection to the Democratic Party in any kind of real sense, like. I never, I can, I'm not going to say that Obama was a, a, a fantastic, like, he, I can't say that I'm like a super fan of Obama or anything, like he was incredible, but he conveyed a sense of decency that didn't fuel the fire of all the most, like, not just fueling the fire, but taking advantage of the most basest part of our of the humanity and yeah. taking advantage of those of those things for your own self selfish reasons whatever they might be i don't even know power essentially and money to me is so obvious that people can't see through that it is it it hits me so deep and i if i think about it too much i get really upset because we're connecting with these people in our personal lives and it's hard. It's really hard for me to see, you know, I didn't like George W. Bush, but you know, I had discussions with it with, with my dad and all this and like, but you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't this personal. <laughs> we, we talk about that all the time. Like I, I yeah. you know, the punk voter thing and, and all this stuff, uh -huh. like I was touring during all that. And yeah. I remember, you know, I didn't like Bush either, but I had friends that did, and it didn't divide us the way that everything's no. div divided right now. It's really weird. Yeah. So that intensity, again, by the time this comes out, it might almost be null and void. Yeah. I don't know. 
Well, it won't be because well, we might not know until January. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, that. But also, like, common decency is very much. Even if you know whoever becomes president, Trump or Biden, common decency is like being threatened. You know, like even if Biden becomes president, like this is not going to go away. And all these things that were not okay have become okay. As far as like just general common decency between people, which the ugliness and nastiness is like, is, is hard to bear because, you know, again, I've, I had my eyes open as much of all of us had through these past months about like what's possible and how bad things can get. So I don't want to get my hopes up and think that like, you know, I, I thought we had evolved to a certain degree, but we, we can just keep, you know, devolving, yeah. you know? So, I, I mean, you never know what's going to happen. Let's just, we'll leave it at uh, you and I both just really hope that common decency comes back. How's that? Exactly. I don't care who's <laughs> president. As long as people keep, you know, being decent to each other, we're going to be okay. Well, I want to tell you something, man. Uh, I've talked to a lot of your friends on this podcast and okay. as of late, like Dave Haas and a bunch of different people. And they, they have told me that get ready. Cause he's the nicest guy in punk rock. And I've got to, agree, <laughs> I've got to agree with them, man. I've had a really good time talking to you today. Oh, great. Well, I, I appreciate you having me. And again, sorry, I, I uh, blundered a couple of times. <laughs> it's okay, I man. really appreciate it. Um, and I, I'm happy to be here and, and, uh, Let's see, you know, see what happens in this next couple of weeks. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll see you again. Awesome. So, hey, uh, real quick before you get out of here, yep. what's the future look like right now? Is it still just kind of in a holding pattern because there's a new release out? Or do you guys have any like plans of a live stream or anything? All I can say is all year we were like, no, Bouncing Souls aren't doing a live stream. Um, uh, we, we didn't we couldn't imagine it working for us in any way. Besides creatively and technically, George and I would have to fly probably to New Jersey, which is something we didn't want to do. But I'm going to say we have a plan. And I, I can't really, I can't get into any details, but I'm pretty sure we're going to do a live stream to some extent in the next couple months, two or three months. Um, that's all I can say about it because <laughs> we haven't confirmed anything. You know how that is. If you start say something that doesn't happen, it's it comes back to you. Awesome. Well, there's one last thing and then I'll let you get out of here. Uh, you were talking about your art earlier. I know that you do yeah. commissions. I love the stuff that I've seen so far on your website. Can you give everybody the info so they can check it out and maybe commission you to do something? Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, uh, I, I started doing visual art more seriously in around 2012 posting drawings from tour and that created uh people were like this is amazing i love that can you do one for me so yes i do commission work and you can take a look at some of that stuff and some of the print stuff i've had i've done at uh gregory Gregory com. awesome man that's right i'll put all that information in the show notes so they can check it out I love the art, man, and uh, I, I might have to get some of the commission, man. I'll hit you up. <laughs> Email me anytime. Awesome. I've had a blast today. Please, in the future, when you guys have something else coming out, whether it's play date, souls, art, whatever, come back and hang out with us, okay? I will, Chris. Thanks, man. Awesome. I'll talk to you soon. Have a great night, man. You too. So there it was, my conversation with Greg from the Bouncing Souls 
I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. I would very much like to thank Greg for his time and for coming on the podcast. And I urge all of you out there to check out the New Souls record, Volume 2, out now on all of the streaming platforms and available in the physical form from Pure Noise Records over at purenoise.net. Uh, let me see what else. Also, make sure to check out their live stream on December 12th. All of the info is over at live at studio4.com, but all the links for all of this stuff is over at bouncingsouls.com. One thing also you need to check out, and I'll have all the notes, all the links in the show notes, is Greg's art is amazing. And he you can commission him to do art for you. And I would highly, highly recommend that. I just think it's so cool that uh, people have so many kind of talents you don't really know about. <clears throat> like Jim from Pennywise is doing art now. You can commission him to do art. And Greg's art is really, really cool. And, you know, he was talking about kind of illustrating the 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 play date stuff, that first book that they did, the kid's book. And, man, it's just I love the fact that so many of my these people like heroes, I guess, you know, people that inspired me to do music. They have all these other really cool talents and little unique things that they do. So support Greg, get him to do some art for you. Also, I wanted to tell you that the Bouncing Souls have a Patreon uh, where they actually do their own podcast and uh, you can get all kinds of perks and all kinds of cool stuff over there. I think they have a lot more perks than we have on our Patreon. So uh, head on over there. Uh, I'm not really sure what the Patreon thing is. It'll be in the show notes, but you can get all of this information at bouncingsouls.com. So once again, uh, Greg, if you're listening, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. You're welcome back anytime. I'm a huge Souls fan, and it was an honor to have you on the show. So that is it for this week, guys and gals. Thank you so much for coming back every week. The numbers get better and better. So you're, I know you're telling people or you're sharing this stuff on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. We just uh, today they released all that Spotify wrapped things and people were tagging us and in, in all of their stories on Instagram because we were in their top five podcasts or whatever. And it, it makes you feel really good. I, I love the fact that uh, I don't know. I, I think that me and all of you out there, we have a really good relationship on the socials. Uh, it's really easy to get a hold of me. I, I respond to everything. Hit me up and we will do it. You can email me. You can hit me up on the socials, whatever you want. But it's so nice to kind of see that feedback. And, you know, there were a couple of people that tagged us in their stories. And on Spotify, when they do that year-end rap, it tells you like how many episodes or how many minutes you've listened and somebody, I can't remember who it was, but they had listened to like 15,000 minutes of me talking. So <laughs> I, I really appreciate that. We had a really big year on Spotify. I will say, you know, the majority of the listeners are on the Apple uh, podcast streams. But uh, but yeah, Spotify is like number two, you know. So I, I, I do want to thank everybody that listens on Spotify. Please hit that follow button if you can. That kind of helps us out. There's no way to review on there, but you can hit the follow button. But I think we had like a 250% increase in listeners and uh, somewhere around like 59 or 60 countries. So thanks to everybody out there all over the world that listens on Spotify. I really, really appreciate it. And hit that follow button so you don't ever miss one of these stellar episodes. So, like I said, that's it. I really appreciate all the support. 
make sure to tag us and all that stuff. If you know, you get the Spotify rap thing or, or if any of those other apps have a thing that tells you that we were in your top something, tag us in it. Let me, let me see it. Send it to me. I want, I want to check it out. So, uh, sign up for our mailing list. That is a big deal. We're trying to get that going and, uh, grab some merchandise. We have new sticker packs over at TOTOTpodcast.com. Once again, shout out to Sarah, our art director for doing all of that. I couldn't do the show without you. And I really, really appreciate all the support from road dog supply. So before I jump out of here, you guys know what I'm going to say. If you listen to this podcast, I'm going to play some music like I always do. I'm going to start it off with one of my favorites from the new record, Volume 2 by The Bouncing Souls. The song is called Ghosts on the Boardwalk. After that, I'm going to follow it up with one of my favorite classic Souls tunes, True Believers. If you're a Souls fan, you know that song. It's been on comps. It's been everywhere. It's, it's a classic. True Believers. You're going to love it. So I love you guys and gals. I will catch you next week. Uh, next week's guest is a surprise. I'm not going to tell you who it is because I got burnt last time because that person was on another podcast and I had to save it. So there will be a new episode next week and you'll have to wait to see who the guest is, but this is Chris. I love you guys. I'll see you next time. Peace.
Fredrickson from Rancid. This is Mark O'Connell from Taking Back Sunday. This is Tom from MXPX. Hey, this is Jay Bentley from Bad Religion. This is Vinny from Less Than Jay. This is Travis from Coheed and Cambria. This is Chris number two for the band Anti-Flag. Hey, this is Ricky Rocket from Poison. This is Pete Parada from The Offspring. Hey, this is Zach Blair from Rise Against. Hey, this is Eddie from the band Thrice. Hi, this is Frank Turner. Hey, this is Jim from Pennywise. Hey, this is Eric Smelly, the drummer of No Effects. Hi, this is Bill from Faith and More. Hey, this is Chris from Propagandy. Hi, this is Rory from No Use for Name. Hi, this is Ben Gilly. I'm Silverchair. This is Stefan from Descendants, and you're listening to That One Time On Tour with Chris Swinney. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! <laughs> 